In the moment of recording, it's high noon on the shortest day of the year. Jupiter and Saturn are at their closest vantage point to us on Earth since the 13th century. Time feels like it's stopped. A sense of calm has descended over us all. The end of the year is in sight. Welcome back to the ravine. Explorations and atonal fish. This is episode 7. I'm Brian Brinkman, your humble host, your co-pilot, your comrade in this journey through the hazy and mysterious terrain of fish at their most experimental, in their deepest of communicative insights, and in their most cosmic of journeys. Time will be of great focus in this episode, but more on that later. For now, take a step back. Find a cozy space and be overtaken by the peace of the moment. Our first segment offered two unique slices of jamming from fish in the mid to late 1.0 era. Up first was the ethereal take on cities from September 24th, 2000 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Just a few weeks shy of the close of the 1.0 era. We hear the band in a moment of contemplation. The turn has happened. The band is heading out west where their initial 17-year period of creativity will end outside of San Francisco. And a song that's always allowed the band to further explore the inspirations of David Byrne. Here, they channel his longtime creative partner, Brian Eno, in an atmospheric jam that seeks to unwind all the stresses of the era for the band. We then hop back five years in time to the Compton Terrace Amphitheater in Chandler, Arizona for a stunning and bizarre take on Mike's song from October 11th, 1995. A show I only recently became hip to. It's a wild and adventurous night in early to fall 95, showcasing the marrying of their 1993 zaniness their improvisational intuition that would drive forward so much of their playing throughout the tour. Get this one in your ears now. So speaking of time, we're going to introduce a new segment here to close out 2020. To better understand the nuanced evolution of fish, we're going to hear a segment of music from a single year in each decade the band has existed. Sit back and soak in the slow-moving development of fish as they move from bars to theaters to amphitheaters and appreciate the risks they took at each step. We'll reconvene somewhere around the mid-2010s when the band has reached middle age and even then, when all seems to have been accomplished, they're still tinkering. Thanks for tuning in. This is The Ravine.
else was blankness. A few fat lumps of sandstone sat glumly under the brass sky. The distant forest pinion was like a black skullcap pulled tight on a wrinkled forehead. Jack Lamb, blocky little livestock marvel who was traveling with us, shook his head. <laughs> Maybe the truth does live here, he said. Nothing else could. We drove on. After a couple of miles, we ran onto a group of wooden shacks, so mean and raw, they seemed to melt right into the landscape. In the midst of them rose the skeleton of what was going to be, for that country, if it ever was finished, a most ambitious building. We decided it must be a temple. Not a builder was in sight. I guess the truth's got no body to it, Jack said. The devil do you suppose this is all about? We could find no one to tell us, so we went another mile and stumbled onto another group of shacks. Thoroughly baffled now, we peeked through the windows. We saw handmade tables and chairs and candles, but no person. There were promising signs. However, a short distance away, a long-handled pump suggested a well, and on the crest of a low hill, a few gray, ragged tents flapped into the hot wind. Out of one of those tents popped a thin little man. He wore a short-sleeved, open-collared white shirt, low oxfords, and duck trousers, garments usually unsuited to southeastern Utah. The temperature stood well over 100 degrees, but the tent dweller had no hat. His face was the color of boiled lobster. Down the hill toward the pump he came, swinging his arms in long arcs. In one hand he carried a white enameled pitcher. I walked toward him. He was staring straight at me. But it became evident he didn't see me at all. I stepped cautiously aside. Hello! He jumped a foot in the air and threw back his arm. thought he was going to chuck the pitcher at my head. And slowly his eyes focused. Good day, he said. We both drew a long breath and looked each other over. What is this place, I asked. The home of the truth. Do you wish something? David Lavender, One Man's West, page 161 to 162. The truth is out there, or is it? Does it matter to find some unified truth? Is creativity and the moment of experimentation enough to keep us going? As we've always said here, the journey is the destination. We begin segment two upstairs in Nectars for a drums jam that bridged cities to Skippy the Wonder Mouse. In a show which gave us the first live versions of Slave to the Traffic Light and Fluffhead, we hear here, in the most basic of all jam band rituals, John Fishman and Mark Daubert, presumably Trey Anastasio, find momentary magic within percussive rhythms. A sign of where they take future endeavors, this shines as an example of forward-thinking playing from the inception of the band. Jumping forward a decade, we landed in the unfortunately named Devos Hall in Grand Rapids, Michigan for a shocking take on David Bowie from November 14, 1994. Three nights shy of the first tape I ever heard and hidden in plain sight in a tour which birthed the Minneapolis and Providence Bowies. This performance displays the constant tickering and craftsmanship we hear from Fish throughout the mid-1990s. 
At times cacophonous and terrifying, at others groove-driven and forward-thinking. This is a Bowie that, while it fails to be granted a singular name a la Providence's take, clearly serves a purpose in pushing the band forward during a critical month in their career. From here we move to the waning days of Fish 2.0, more specifically June 19, 2004, and a take on Walls of the Cave that remains my single favorite jam this song has produced. From the Saratoga Springs Performing Arts Center, you hear the band leave everything on the proverbial field. In a weekend that had many, even the band, wondering if they should reverse course and forge ahead as a unit rather than step away come August. This brief segment of contemplation and ambient mastery showcases the best of fish when they stop, just soak in the moment. Finally, we moved into the 3.0 era for a jam off of Fuego from July 13th, 2014 at the Intellos Pavilion in Portsmouth, Virginia. In a summer in which we all got a Fuego, this stands as the most disturbed and deeply fascinating jam off the title track of their 2014 LP. Channeling the great Ira Kaplan, Trey builds a wall of sound that has no end. Rhythmic and dystopian in nature, it's one of the clearest examples of persistent creativity in the band's later years. And as we wait out the world for the next Fish show, it's a great reminder of how much more there is for Fish to mine as they approach 40 years as an art project. For our final segment of the night, we're going to highlight a single jam. The post-song proper ambient jam off the July 19, 1998 McGrupp and the Watchful Horace Masters. A song that's almost as old as Fish itself. We hear the band apply the ambient jamming of the summer to it in gorgeous fashion. From the venue, the band would close out their initial period of creative unity just 27 months later. It's a brief moment of contemplation and creative insight during a hot, hot summer. I want to thank you once again for keeping your dial set on the ravine. This was episode 7. My name is Brian Brinkman, and I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Happy holidays, and happy 2021 to you and your families. Till next time.